This is The Guardian. I'm Grace Dent, and this is Comfort Eating from The Guardian. A podcast where we pay homage to the lesser celebrated foods in life. Because even as a restaurant critic, I believe the food that matters most is often that snack you cobble together when you're curled up on the sofa. Each week, I ask my guest to lift the lid on what comfort foods have seen them through their lives. Because you can tell a lot about a person from what they eat behind closed doors. Hello, friends. You find me in my kitchen. It's a gorgeous day. Sun blasting through the window. I am fresh from my weightlifting class. I am achy. I'm a little bit sweaty, if I'm honest. And boy, I am hungry. Even the endorphins I am maxing out on cannot quell the frenzy I am in because there is a cult hero on his way over here as we speak. I've got time for a little snack. I'm having one of my favourite things ever. A little tin of cold pepper pig spaghetti shapes. Ah. It's one of my favourite things. Mm. The sauce clings to the pepper pigs far better than it does to hoops. I will stand by this. Mm. The bell is about to go and on my doorstep will be actor and screenwriter Jamie Demetrio. You will all remember his book teeth as Bus Roden in Fleabag. He co-wrote and starred in Stathlet's Flats, a hit which won him a batch of BAFTAs. He was in Paddington too, and he's recently done the voice for a British bulldog in the new Will Ferrell film, Strays. He was on our screens in a little film, kind of went under the radar, very small promo budget, Barbie. It might have passed you by. I'm itching to find out what Jamie is nibbling on when he's back home in his gym jams on the sofa after a long day's work. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly eBay gets it, so look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Jamie Demetrio, welcome to Comfort Eating. Thanks so much for having me at Comfort Eating. <laughs> you are 
an animal voiceover expert with proven improv skills. Now I'm going to show you something. Here is a photo of my new rescue cat, Shrimp, who this year has invaded first my garden and then my heart. I have a special request. Could you now channel this looseness into giving me the voice of Shrimp? <laughs> this is a left hook. <laughs> Let's see the cat and then see what I got. Oh, it's good stuff. Okay, there's a character forming. Shrimp. He keeps disappearing for four days and then coming back, eating two pouches of food and doing a shit in my strawberry patch. <laughs> like a lot of boyfriends. Shrimp is non-committal. Absolutely non-committal. Shrimp defecates in, in sort of seasonal patches. Loves it. He loves it. I'm going to give him a catchphrase. <laughs> War! <laughs> <laughs> Do it again. Say something to Shrimp and I'll, I'll respond. Where have you been? <laughs> it will work with anything, I guarantee. <laughs> give, me, give me another one. Have you been getting food somewhere else? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's actually very good. It's not necessarily an accent. It's more an attitude. It's more a moment. It's more, it's more a 2023 moment. <laughs> like, see, I can't do it. That's why I'm going to have to get you to do it. War. <laughs> This is where I find out what my guest likes to eat behind closed doors. Jamie Demetrio, what have you got for me on this plate? Okay, before I unveil it, oh. I, I want to I preface it with an acknowledgement of my own embarrassment. Mm -hmm. Because when people talk about guilty pleasures, I often find guilty pleasures to be a kind of difficult thing. Because what do I actually feel embarrassed by and guilty about? Sure, I like to sort of occasionally squirt sriracha all over a crisp until you can't see the crisp anymore and stuff like that but this is going to make me sound like the kind of person who sort of <laughs> cooks a casserole for a house party or maybe the kind of person who doesn't use deodorant you're, um, you're, i'm you're genuinely you're, blushing you're blushing i just know the way people react to this stuff and what it's going to say about me as a person oh, darling, i actually want to go there's no judgment here <laughs> Right, I want. I'm going to show it to you, and I want you to tell Get me what you think it Get is, out. and Get I'm out. gonna. I'm gonna correct you. Jesus Christ, what's this gonna be? Oh God! <laughs> right. It looks like sick on harder sick. If I had this growing on me, I would need antibiotics. <laughs> it needs drained. So what it is is there's two rice cakes. Am I right? They are lentil cakes. Continue. Lentil cakes. Now, on top of it, is this the puss that you push out of acne? <laughs> I mean, it might as well be at this stage because it is a uh, lentil cake, which is an offshoot of the Callow Rice Cake brand. It's a bit crispier. And on top is a thin layer of butter, a thin layer of honey, smashed banana, oh. and then a very, very light, and I'm going to lose everyone here, sprinkling of salt. She loves it. Grace is in hell. The banana. Okay, so <laughs> basically, I grew up in a very rice cakey household, right? 
It was very late for everything because my mum wanted to butter two rice cakes before she left the house. <laughs> and, I, and I drifted away from that. But as with so many things I was given as a child, I've sort of come back to them. And in later life, I've been looking for a snack that because I, I inhale constantly stuff and I've been looking for something healthy that I can have quite often. And basically I made myself addicted to them to stop myself from being addicted to things that are bad for me and it's worked. So no more crack and heroin, 2CB, no, any no, no, of no, those no. That, things? That's still very much on the menu. I'm talking about calorific stuff. So now you're back on the lentil cake. Well, yeah, kind of. But I, I, the thing about this is that's gutting to me is that I feel like what it needs to be is the fifth one you've had. Okay. <laughs> As in, okay. It has to have bled into your system. And the thing that I like about the lentil cakes compared to the rice cakes is that they have <laughs> more of a crisp. I don't, I'm not standing by it. I'm just trying to lay myself bare to the public. The banana's gone black. I like <laughs> that. <laughs> black banana mushed on lentil cakes. Yeah, it's suicide. I don't know if you need salt with banana, though. Where's the salt come from? The salt is coming from my addiction to uh, salt. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that a tiny sprinkle just offsets the sweetness of the honey and the banana. Um, I mean, as if I'm talking about it as if it's a good thing. We've both just eaten a fart on a plate. You were born in North London in 1987. You grew up with your mum, dad, and your older sister, Natasha. Now, you and Natasha both went on to be successful comedians. Where do you two get that funniness from? I think we just festered in the same sort of hot stew of being stressed out kids mm. and... I mean, me trying to make it about food by referring to it as a hot stew. Mm. <laughs> it's not good stuff. She, I don't know. We just kind of saw each other. Yes. It, I, I think we saw the value in having someone's eye to catch mm. at, when you have a kind of shared sensibility. It's kind of like a blood sensibility yeah. that, yeah, that, yeah. that we're kind of born with, which I think most people have with their siblings. Mm. I just think we jumped on it in a yes. big way and were like, that might be the most enjoyable part of life, those moments where we catch each other's eye about that. Let's do that every day, all the time, because it, it's probably the happiest we ever are. I mean, it was it was often us taking the mick out of each other as well mm. and things that we'd done and like those rare moments where you're able to not be defensive about something stupid you've done. Like I remember we were in Brighton on holiday and there were two guys with bikes stood still having a chat about like must have been 50 meters ahead of us and my sister was like I bet you're going to trip over those bikes and I was like how the hell is that going to happen it's 50 meters away I can see them and I fell over them so badly <laughs> I fell like to the floor and come and did she laugh yeah and but it's something we like spoke about forever because it's like you know I can see myself in that moment what would you, what's her thing that when she takes the piss out of you, my, it's like my brother says that I've got uh, wonky eyes and that my head is far, far bigger than my body. And he's, and he, I mean, I can't, these are the, these are the ones I can even say, right? And still now he'll like, if I sent him a photo of me picking up an award, he will immediately send me a photo back holding a plate with his eyes crossed. <laughs> right? 
The closest one I have is that everything I touch becomes crumpled. (laughs) (laughs) Well, is it because, like, you're so messy? Uh, Well, I have, I just have quite heavy, I have quite heavy hands. (laughs) And I think I could have, like, a really nice sort of (laughs) paper bag from a shop holding some beautiful goods. And within about two seconds, it's, like, torn and and looks like it's, like, a weird family heirloom (laughs) for about 200 years. But she, I, I give as good as I get, but I won't go into that. <laughs> you grew up in the 90s. Uh, give me a sense of family dynamic. So paint a picture of an average weekend, Shay Demetrio. Um, I suppose it would involve a lot of being in a hot car while my dad maybe goes to visit his accountant. <laughs> 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 sort of waiting for him to come out to take us swimming in Archway. Uh, just sitting in the back. Of the yeah, car, yeah, just sort of like... With giving n- each other dead arms, basically. Yeah, with no kind of sense of when it might be over. Um. <laughs> Your dad is Greek Cypriot. He's Indeed. a chef. Yes. So I'm imagining that when he's at home, the house is just this amazing never-ending Greek smorgasbord of moussaka and lamb sivlaki, baked halloumi. Is that your imagination? Yeah, that's what it's like. It's like you just come in and it's a little bit like, it's like Mamma Mia, the musical. <laughs> it was something to the left of that, maybe. I mean, look, because he, he was a full-time chef the mm. whole time I was growing up. So as is the case, as I'm sure you know, with so many chefs, when you come home, it's... It's more often than not just like unidentifiable pots of content. <laughs> mm, delicious. Matter. Just some sort of evening matter. Um, what but did he cook? It would, I mean, he would do like, to average be fair, night, he would do night. like uh, an avril lemon soup is like a thing he would frequently mm-hmm. cook. Or he might do like, there would always be a piece of meat in the oven. It was like, I don't know. What, I think he would sometimes get up at like three o'clock in the morning to cook meat to eat that evening. Right. Yeah. And the one thing that he did that really stays in my memory that me and my sister can never quite get our heads around is he'd roast potatoes. It was like the way that the gravy of the meat would infuse with the potatoes. Yes. It was like... You know, like waxy Cypriot yes, potatoes? Yeah, yeah. It would be like, they'd be the butteriest, graviest, like softest things with no crisp on the outside, which is the traditional... Oh, like, how does it... I, right. I don't know how it works. It's magic. But it's when you go to Greece, Cyprus, and there's like a really, really, really old lady who just comes out. She's got the secret. A hundred percent. And she exactly. and she's key. And it, but those places, even for me, and I, you know, I've got family there, I find it so difficult to find those places. Yes. So when you're little, your dad ran a greasy spoon in Queen's Park. What was it like being in the cafe with just the regulars coming in? Do you end up kind of knowing them? Do you know their orders? Oh, yeah. There was a, a guy whose order was toast without butter because he'd get a discount. And uh, he'd use the, the salt, pepper, and ketchup from the table as as a topping, so that he didn't have to pay for butter. Um, yeah, toast with salt, pepper, and ketchup. <laughs> yeah, um, but I do think that experiences like that and various other ones were what led to my obsession with the British character. Yes, you know, seeing those people come in day in day out, and their little foibles was unbelievable. Were you ever let loose in the kitchen, in the cafe? 
I would butter you a toast. No two ways about it. Maybe there was like a twang of like obsessiveness there because I would watch my dad because he was having to butter so much toast because it would often only be him in there. He would often sort of like put just one fat smear in the middle of it and not really think about it. And do you know what I mean? And I would be very corner to corner and getting a bit of a... No dry bites. That's meant to be the point of toast. Did he do set meals? Oh, yeah. Oh, it was just everything you could imagine. Did he do bubble? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But that was difficult because of the connotations of, of bubble, him being Greek. That is the bubble and squeak is like Cockney rhyming slang slash. Yeah, it's it's a it's not yeah it's not ideal. Well, it would often be like you effing bubble would be the kind of would be the thing. But he didn't really care. I think he's you know in kitchen culture he would just kind of own that kind of thing you know, and he grew up in kitchens with like every ethnicity you know forever, and it was very much the culture to kind of josh with each other you know. Outside of your part-time job at the CAF, what's young Jamie like? You were in a band. (laughs) And I absolutely love talking to people about their bands because I think that it's so telling. (laughs) My first question is, what was the band called? We were called The Alphabet. Uh, and then a band called Alphabet came yeah. out with that song Fascination. And I think the general chat we had was, okay, we need to change our name. Or we could just break up because it's not really good <laughs> stuff. Did you sing? Yeah, I was the singer, yeah. Yeah, and I had that kind of, it was around the time that you weren't singing unless you had a London voice. This <laughs> is a kind of around the libertines type sure yeah 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 Yeah. very kind of whatever the kind of british equivalent of the strokes desperate to be the strokes equivalent was so we're talking about 2001 wait no it was probably post all that i think it was around more kind of like baby shambles ish time did you wear very very tight trousers oh yeah i mean who has very tight trousers there was a place in camden where they would stitch 501s to make them tighter because no one was selling like drain pipes in shops. And I used to go down there every Friday to buy a pair to wear for the weekend. They cost like a fiver and by the Sunday, they would just be like big flaps of denim just hanging off my <laughs> hips. And then I just go again next Friday and just ask them to re-sew them. What was the Alphabet's best song? Best is a, will be a strong word for any of them. It, the, the, well, no, look, they were all right. My sister was a big fan. <laughs> um, we had a song about a teacher I had who I really fancied oh. called Cold Shoulder. And it was about me trying to tell her how mature I was. Right. So I, I want you to do the chorus in the... In the um, I can't. In, do the I chorus in the... It, play. I, know I, it, I will oh, burn. I will... I will, I will your, your house... I don't know what your insurance you have, but <laughs> you don't want. A, it did, was your house will smell of Sivlaki. Did you have a? <laughs> did you do it in this Cockney accent though? Oh yeah, which is such a shame as well because I adored singing in a kind of harmonious. Like I grew up singing, yes. and I adored sort of like trying to sing nicely. And then there was a kind of the cool thing to do would be to throw that in the bin and kind of purposefully, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That is the kooks. Totally. That is all of the kooks songs. Do it again. Right. 
Um, do it again. I don't know if I want to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> exactly that. Yeah. Um, but did you did you want to be a rock star because you liked you went? We were the Alpha B. Thank you. I walked off and thought, ah. Oh, Fucking hell, that was amazing. I was like, oh, was yeah, yeah, star. yeah. I would ping my braces and walk around the three people who'd watched, like I was Dave Grohl. It was uh, <laughs> that being my reference these days, that's how far I've come <laughs> from, my, uh, from my band days. But yeah, no, I, you know, but I actually also think there's something to that. You know, it was like, it was an amazing time because it felt amazing at the time, yes. kind of thing. It, you know, I, I look back on it like incredibly fondly. Mm. And I do think that there was a kind of crossroads in my life where, you know, it probably wouldn't have been that specific thing. But I was like, you know, comedy or music. And it was like, I really don't think I have the guts to be earnest for the rest of my life. And I was like, I do think that it takes it. It's quite like maybe at the time I was quite cynical about it and was like, like what just like being really like sincere forever like jesus christ have a sense of humor but now i'm like i actually wish that i had it in me to i like mm-hmm. sort of try and find that part of myself more maybe you left school and ended up at bristol university studying drama that is a prestigious university how tough was it to get on the course uh, it should have been i got in through it turned out uh, like a clerical error in my second year, I uh, I was de-rigging a stage with one of my tutors. And I think he was talking about how difficult it is for students to get in. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I can't believe I didn't get any A-levels. So he sort of laughed and I was like, what? Have you just seen something out the window or something? And he was like, then what do you mean you didn't do it? You must have done it. You need to get whatever and above to come here. And I was like, no. And he like ran to the office to check my file and was like, never tell anyone this. So I, yeah, don't know how I managed it. But, uh, well, I, but I mean, like... I do not know, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me. You Luck. must have felt different to everyone that was there, surely. Thick, yeah. De- I mean, definitely. Yeah, I would go into le- I would go into like lectures or seminars, and everyone would whip out their notebooks to sort of take notes on what the lecturer was saying. And I was like, "Oh, oh novel." I was like, "All oh, right, I should do that." And the next one, and then I would just write down what they said, not knowing why I was doing it, <laughs> because yes. I never. And just like be like, okay, so that's my. It's quite hard to listen to what they're saying while I'm writing it down, but sure. And then I would never address what it said in the book because I didn't have a kind of like formal post-school education. Now at uni, usually you live in halls or shared housing and the kitchen is generally so disgusting it should be cordoned off. Everyone has a staple dish that they churn out again and again though. What was your uni staple dish? It was pasta, usually for silly, with a Sackler coriander pesto Mm. and... chopped up sweet chili co-op sausages and sweet chili sauce blue dragon sweet chili sauce on top with lots of grated cheddar it was like a coma inducer i mean look i think that's one of the worst things anyone's ever told me on this podcast (laughs) it just kept coming at no point during that sentence did i know what the next word was going to be did you have a vegetable in there as well um yes a sackler coriander pesto (laughs) (laughs) 
So you ate yeah. this a lot. So, I mean, obviously, this is one of the things that you could probably leave in the stove and no one's going to steal it. I mean, no, you're so wrong. I mean, you're th- the students in my house would eat way worse than that. I mean, the majority of the fridge was taken up by those, like, 10p sort of sausages of economy pate with the from Tesco with the four blue stripes on them. I mean... I'll say this, just for the listeners hearing about this lentil cake and the pasta, I back my palate. I'm I'm not ashamed of what passes my teeth. I think that okay. you're hearing the worst. There's some good, there's some great stuff out there in my fridge, etc. <laughs> Again, nobody has ever stopped halfway through just to make the point that they back their palate like, Look, like, I'm breaking boundaries I on the podcast back my palate <laughs> it's like <laughs> this message comes from BOF sponsor eBay you'll know real when you get it It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Grace Dent here. One more thing. If you love comfort eating, then you'll love my new book, Comfort Eating, What We Eat When No One's Looking. It's available order now. There's an e-book and an audiobook if you want me to read it to you, with chapter headings like Why Butter Makes Everything Better and Why Potatoes Are Proof of a Higher Power, How Can You Resist? Comfort Eating is packed with funny, moving stories about my family and my childhood, as well as recipes and stories about recording the show. You start performing with the comedy group at uni, going to the Edinburgh Fringe year after year. And then after a few years, you book your own venue for a one-man stand-up show. Okay, how does that go? I did a few gigs around London in preparation, which is what you're supposed to do, really. But I would do 10 minutes at a time. And I basically realized by the time I got there that I only had 10 minutes um, for the hour slot that I booked on the Free Fringe. And I just had a creative block and just couldn't generate more. Luckily, it was a free show and it was on at like 2 p.m. So You got to Edinburgh with no show. I got to Edinburgh with about 10, 15 minutes of material and I could vamp for like an extra kind of... Vamp. Like improvise. Just like, just sort of like, just... (laughs) 
like dragging out, I guess, <laughs> like positive dragging out. But I would, I would <laughs> vamp for like an like improvise for like ten minutes in the end, and then just be like, "Sorry, everyone, that's actually all I've got." And then uh, I'd found out that a couple of people were going to be at the show on the Friday. TV execs. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I, I'm like, I find this out on the Tuesday and I basically just didn't sleep for three nights <laughs> and I would just talk to myself all night in different character voices, seeing what I could generate. There was a, a kind of wig shop on the way to the venue and every day I'd pick up a different wig and trial the, one of the voices. And I was like, that can sort of work with the kind of scary kind of nanny voice I was doing. So I'll do that. And then by the time the Friday came around, I had an hour that was like wonky, but... I do think that sometimes the kind of, you know, the adrenaline of yes. it, it kind of sees you through and it ended up yeah. being an all right show and it ended up being the kind of foundation for what I did for the rest of the month. If I was a fly on the wall during those two days, what would I say? Um, nudity. <laughs> <laughs> no clouds. Yeah. Just running around with the wigs. Yeah, wigs. yeah, yeah. Oh my God, yeah. Very kind of distressing... Basically, it would have made good footage for a kind of Aphex Twin music video. Exactly. Yeah. This catapulted you off into a stand-up comedy career. Fast forward to 2016. Mm. You land the role in the TV adaptation of Phoebe Waller-Bridge's Fleabag mm. as Bus Rodent. Mm -hmm. This is a guy with book teeth who Fleabag meets on the bus and whom she hates but gets into a relationship with because she hates herself. And the show very quickly becomes this massive juggernaut, this massive stratospheric success watched by millions, wins Emmys, Golden Globes, BAFTAs, everything, the lot, the world on a plate and you're in it. I reckon that for a lot of people, this is their first encounter with you. How do things change? Well, I suppose what, changed in a big way for me was from my personal experience was um kind of witnessing Phoebe's process on mm -hmm. set and you know just being like this can be done so well you know mm -hmm. making telly can be not that I hadn't seen it before you know I'd done a lot of kind of bit parts mm -hmm. and stuff and I'd been in some really good stuff but it was really you know, it was a kind of transcendent experience shooting it. I mean, the thing about it is it's it's been such a huge deal and I shot maybe four days on it. Mm -hmm. It's not like, you know, it was like a huge thing that went on for ages for me. I just sort of went, witnessed how amazing what she was doing was and then it kind of exploded and people would sort of look in my mouth forevermore to find out if my teeth were real or not. But you must have gone from being fairly... Uh, incognito in restaurants to having that experience where you're sitting there and you know that those two are going oh they're not doing it secretly and then they go like that and then they get a photo up of you and you can see it and it's always you looking really ropey and they go so do you get that I think do you see people mime the teeth Oh, at the time there was there was a fair bit of that when when it was in its when it was like on, especially when like specifically when series two came about. Actually, that was quite a lot. But uh, you know, all you ask for is that when that stuff happens, it's for something that you're proud of. Mm -hmm. And you know, I can't really even take any pride in the show. It's just it's so her creation and 
and her thing and everything. And I just was so lucky to have to have slid into it. And I do think that, you know, work breeds work. And if you're lucky enough to have worked on something people like, I just think you're lucky enough to be given opportunities. And I think that staff was probably a long-term, not immediate, but a kind of gradual fallout. Twenty eighteen, things start getting even more exciting. Staff Let's Flats premieres on Channel Four. You created, wrote, and starred in a show as a ridiculous, incompetent estate agent, desperate to take over his family's letting agency. It has since won three BAFTAs. Right? Have you ever had to deal with estate agents since then? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And um, they, yeah, (laughs) they're big believers in uh, staff being a kind of impression of someone else in their (laughs) office, but it's always them. The weirdest thing about it is you would imagine that touring me around, they mind their P's and Q's and be on their best behaviour, trying Mm -hmm. not to say anything stupid, but you're getting every sort of, this table would make a brilliant shelf, obviously, as there's no storage. (laughs) Obviously, this window you can't see through, but it's the kind of window that has the potential to be something that if you were to think hard, you could imagine what was outside it, if that makes sense. You know, just, yeah, it just, yeah. it just, it's never, and you're like, you know that you've just told me you watched the show. You know that I'm going to take that. Anyway, I would go on a lot of tours just without needing a flat kind of thing. This year, you played a toy company executive. And what casually became the biggest box office hit of the entire year, Greta Gerwig's Barbie. Now, not to state the absolute bleeding obvious, but summer 23 was Barbie hysteria. You've been in feature films before, but Barbie was clearly filmmaking on a ridiculous scale. I read somewhere that the production caused a worldwide shortage of pink paint. (laughs) I mean, possibly, who knows? I mean, that's got, I mean, I'm going to judge the world for not having enough pink paint. I mean, that (laughs) says more about the world and the amount of pink paint it has than the amount of barbie used. For people who weren't there, talk me through through the sheer scale of being involved in the Barbie production juggernaut. Well, you know, my role was very, very small. I was very much a kind of, you know, a a cog in an unbelievable process, actually. Not dissimilar to Fleabag, in the sense that it just felt like something being done right. Mm. Just was done with so much love. Greta, just the most extraordinary director I've seen work. You know, it felt like an egoless production where everyone felt really a part of it. And they were trying to make something Amazing. I think they were genuinely just trying to make something really, really good as opposed to just filling a brief. Was the on-set catering on Barbie pink? Was the food pink? Absolutely. Was it blanche? No, no. I would love to say that it was, but no. It was your standard high-quality American film production fare, the likes of, you know, the optional afternoon (laughs) wrap, if you'd like it. Yeah. There'd be smoothies and stuff like that around, which I'm sure you could make pink if you wanted. Did you go rollerblading with Will Ferrell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely right. for the film. Is that nerve-wracking? <laughs> In what sense? So you go, 
holy shit, I've got to go out there and it's Will Ferrell and I've got to be funny and amazing and remember my lines. I think the rollerblading part was the more scary because, you know, we, like, me and um, Andrew Lung and, and Connor Swindells kind of played Will's assistants. So we were a kind of quartet for, for those eight weeks and there's a lot of kind of waiting around together. So I, I was lucky enough to, you know, Will's like the the just the easiest, nicest just like not a scary presence whatsoever. What did you actually do when you're just waiting around with Will Ferrell? Sort of ate McCoys because there were a lot of McCoys available to us. And just did you have a little of, bit of a dip on the go or just McCoys? Uh, I, I would a McCoy, we're talking a about McCoy does not lend it. Yes, of course, of course. A McCoy doesn't lend itself to a. Uh, instinctively it's not i don't think i actually would think that that's like the last crisp i'd think of dipping are you different to that i don't think any crisp is too big for a dip uh, i think i think we can bring apart from like a novelty sized crisp <laughs> is it true that you had never actually eaten eggs <laughs> yeah <laughs> until you were Almost this age now. I think I was 23. So I just thought they were sort of oval farts for the longest time. I didn't understand how someone could smell a fart and shout that it smelled like egg and then eat the thing that smelled like a <laughs> fart. I just, it, I'm not even going to partake. And then. So you thought that because people said that farts were eggy, that that meant that eggs were actual farts yes and i was looking when i would occasionally taste an egg i was looking to corroborate with my theory and then what's the breakthrough what's your breakthrough the egg? breakthrough egg was i think it was a fried lad and it was a fried lad I love that. <laughs> it did the job and it's continued to do the job and i will argue that i as a result enjoy eggs more than anyone who ate them as a kid because they're still I'm still in the kind of honeymoon phase with them <laughs> it's still a surprise to me that I have this amazing food stuff that you can't you know right in fact Grace Dent hello tell me what an egg tastes like it's it's got a definite dairy creaminess to it but only in bits of it. Is it bitter? I don't, I mean, I'm, I, it tastes like an egg. It it's is impossible. It's, it's incomparable. Eggy. I can't, I don't know why I want it. I don't know why I love it so much. I don't know why I love every form of it. I don't know why I love what it does to everything you mix it with. Mm -hmm. But it's just like warm flavour. Flavour of warmth <laughs> and richness. Yeah. It's richness. It is, but it's like, it's like liquid richness yeah there's no kind of discernible flavor to it whatsoever but you crave it and it's really nice but it's the only thing that you have to suspend your knowledge of what it is i think that you're eating it whilst never really thinking what this is because it's i think it's just almost too much it's just on the it's absolutely on the borderline of ick Sure. And especially because like with a steak or something, you're very much confronted with what it is and you can't really avoid it. I don't yeah. think that you can you tell yourself it's anything. You have to eat it with anything. something. It has to sit on a carbohydrate. Yeah, totally. Although that said, in, in going to like, going to Paris and having like earth with like mayonnaise and like a bit of salt and pepper and yeah. maybe like a little kind of 
what, just all the kind of bits yes is like my one of my dream food stuffs we're coming to the end of our time together and i never said a nice <laughs> i tried to kind of I, I tried to make people think i have a good palate by saying i like to go to paris and dip a boiled egg in mayonnaise we're going to cut all that out <sighs> all that is going to be is you foisting black banana that oh, made right. with salt on it right. we're going to have a little bit of a choose your own adventure scenario okay it's the present you. day jamie demetrio wants heir to his own cafe empire walks into a greasy spoon. But now, having finally awoken to the deliciousness of egg, <laughs> he's having egg for breakfast. And now he's faced with a crucial, gut-wrenching, yet age-old choice. Scrambled or sunny side up. What's the establishment? My dad's Fa- it's cafe. It's family cafe. It's my dad's cafe. It's got to be fried because you can't really fail. And... A scrambled in a kind of greasy spoon kind of vibe is never right for me. A scrambled there. That yeah. kind of like rubbery, like white. I like a greasy spoon fried egg because it's the only place where they manage to sort of... I, 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 I traditionally would cook a crispy, yeah. um, like sunny side up fried egg, mm. but they managed to... Completely white, almost like... Same consistency on top as it is underneath somehow. Almost poached, but oiled. An exactly, oiled poached exactly. egg. It's almost the with, consistency of oil, isn't it? Yes, with a runny yolk. Yeah. From egg odyssey <laughs> to your career odyssey, it's been quite the journey. The gesticulation I'm witnessing <laughs> is electric. Where do you go from here? Are you focusing solely on Barbie spin-off movies for the foreseeable? <laughs> not solely no just more egg stuff really just really kind of get to grips with egg um seeing if there's one i haven't tried can you tell me an egg that i might not have tried have you had little quail's eggs no so that's my answer little, little. so it went barbie little quail's eggs <laughs> jamie Dimitri. Oh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> it has been an absolute journey. Thank you so much for comforting with me. Thanks for having me here. <laughs> In. And yeah. I'm so sorry. Really, everyone, just know, just know that I do like nice stuff. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Comfort Eating was produced by Gabriella Jones. The executive producer is Lucy Greenwell. The music was written by Axel Kakutier. Mixing and sound design was by Solomon King. If you like comfort eating, then please go and leave us a review. And you can follow or subscribe so you never miss an episode. See you next week. This is The Guardian. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love 
and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.